Ah, close to retirement, or retired already? Time to live the good life, right? Well, you're no longer earning money. You're now withdrawing money each month. And your broker is also withdrawing each month from your account as much as 2 to 3%. And if the market drops, your broker continues to withdraw. Wait a minute. How do we navigate these challenges? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halabi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with me. I'm Arab Halaby, the total financial hour. Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for retirement, staying retired. <laughs> Sometimes that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Staying retired, you hear folks, and, uh, you know, when my dad retired, it was interesting. He came to me, I think he was 70 when he retired. He had a travel agency, a small travel agency, and came to me and said, you know, uh, two years later, he said, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was retiring. And I thought, wow, you know, why? And he said, it's just so lonely because a lot of people are still working. They can't afford to retire, or if they do, they can't afford to do things, or if they're working, they're just busy. Right, They have a normal life. Grandkids are older. They're doing their thing. So a lot of this, when you retire, you have to have purpose. You have to have something to do. And we always talk about income, reliable retirement income, as a thing that allows you to do those things. That's the purpose of it. It's allowing you to enjoy the life that you want to live and not just sit at home and say, I have just enough to pay my bills, just enough to live great, but I can't afford an emergency or to get hurt, pay my copay, whatever it might be. So I want you to know that when you retire, you should be involved in things. So today we're going to talk about a couple of things. One of those is the beneficiaries that you line up and how I think you can use it, right? I think the beneficiaries isn't just about who helped you and who was there for you 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years ago because people have grown financially. They've uh, revealed who they are financially. So if you're a retiree and you were going to leave money to your three children and one of them is a bit wayward and one has three grandchildren with two of those grandchildren doing really well and one not so good with money. There's nothing that says you have to leave money equally to anybody for anything. You can leave them something if that makes you feel better. But the longer you're alive, I want you to adjust your beneficiaries along the way. I want you to see who's good with money. You don't give money to somebody or some, you know, or possessions to somebody who's no good with those possessions. If they're lousy with their own money, if there's no emotional connection to protect, preserve, grow, honor, respect their own money, they will not have that same emotion with yours. Even if they do, it's always reduced a little bit just because they, their effort was not involved in making the money, right? There's no emotional connection to the money that they inherit. It's like the lotto or finding $20 in the parking lot. 
It doesn't matter to them. It's like, oh, that's just found money. I'm going to go buy this. You say, no, 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 no. Somebody worked really hard and delayed gratification. Somebody worked really hard and said, I'm not going to do this until later. Somebody worked really hard to say, I'm going to do or give this to my children or grandchildren. And then they couldn't. They didn't live that long. They couldn't do other things. When you're looking at this, you have to ask yourself, who's going to receive my money? And what will they do with it? Will it make their lives better or will it make their lives worse? Because that is an important part of it. You don't want to be the one responsible to leave money to people that makes their life worse. Because money, just like power, just like influence, it doesn't make you better, good. It doesn't make you worse. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you more of what you already are. So if you're a bad guy, you're going to do more bad things. Right? If you're somebody who's disrespectful to other human beings and now you have a title, now you have a job, now you have uh, influence, you're a supervisor, director, whatever, and you always have been a son of a gun, surprise, you now have more influence and power to be a bigger jerk to those people. So I don't want you to be somebody who gives money to an individual who's already a jerk. You follow me? I think that matters because part of what you should do is look at the person's character, not just whether they need money, right? If they keep, if they're driving a new car all the time, if they have the greatest uh, audio visual stuff, technology in their apartment or their house, and yet they're borrowing money to eat dinner or they're always, you know, lazy and they're not working hard to create wealth. But the moment they get a quote stimulus check, Right? It, it, listen, I'm going to tell you what you do with all those stimulus checks. You take them and you donate them. You donate them to Larry Elder. You donate them to Recall Gavin Newsom. You donate them to the Republican Party or the conservative you, of your choice. Fine. If the, if the state wants to give you that, you take that and turn that right around and, and give it to somebody else. The recalling of the governor or the school board. The liberals, let's turn it on them. Let's turn this government giveaway bribe thing that they're doing to give quote, money to everybody. And let's turn it into something where we can finally make a difference. Because here's what you do. You go in and you check your beneficiaries. And if it is not somebody that you would give the money to today, then you don't put them on there today. You can always change it next month. right? You can change it next week. You can change it in, in, in two years, anytime you want. All right, now I'm going to give you a little bit of a background because this is a question we get pretty regularly. So whenever I get questions that are more often coming from our clients, folks coming into the door and, and uh, you know, people coming in to, to see if we're the right place to work with them, if I see those consistent questions, I like to bring them to your attention. So here's one of them. Hey, Arif, I have an account that is a beneficiary, my old retirement account, and I have my three children on there. Should I make it the trust or should I make it, you know, the revocable living trust or should I keep it as the individuals? So my point to you is this. If you want the children to have it and you think the kids are decent with money, I always ask, are they good kids? Oh yeah, yeah, they're good kids. So we're going to assume everybody's a good guy and they, they respect their money and they work hard for their own stuff. I got it. Then the reason I would make them the beneficiary is because there are greater options for them to pull the money out from most accounts. Meaning if it's the trust, 
the trust may require everything to be sold, paid at the trust's income tax return, and the income tax return that the trust pays, uh, the income tax is, could be higher than what an individual would pay. And under current law, if a beneficiary receives a retirement account, they can spread out those income payments or the withdrawal of those dollars, they can spread it out for 10 years. The trust may not have that option. And it might require everybody to pay the taxes now based on the trust numbers, right? So, so we have to ask ourselves, do you want those beneficiaries to pay the taxes today? They're going to pay it. It's going to just go through the living trust, which is at a 25% return. Then we just have to make sure that you know that. Now, if you want the dollars to be paid out in a certain way, I want my, my children to be at this age, they have to achieve this in life, then you can make the trust the beneficiary. Right? You may not want all your beneficiary uh, in your account to be the individuals. Because now let's take a look at somebody who has a struggle, who struggles with money. We'll call it your 30-year-old son and he just can't manage money. Your 25-year-old daughter, she's always in debt. Always has the nicest clothes, shoes, purses, but she's always in debt. Then you do not give her the money. You don't. You might put it into the trust and say it's there to give her an income stream. It's there to pay for her apartment rent, but not to give her a big chunk of money so she can go party. You might say that, I'm not going to do that. Because if it is an account that has a beneficiary, here's an example, retirement accounts, annuities, life insurance, those are beneficiary driven. That means that you can put a person on it and there is no trust required. The trust is not involved. It doesn't matter. And it goes directly into the world of, uh, to, the, to the kids or the person. Right? In other words, it goes as circumvents probate, the court's not involved. Circumvents the trust, the court's not involved. The trustee is not involved. It goes directly to the beneficiaries. Now, you might have a bank account or a credit union account. Well, you are allowed to put on those accounts something called a TOD or POD, transfer on death or payable on death. How you know you have that is when you look at the registration, which means your name, your name and address, and it'll say TOD on file or POD. It just means that it's that there's a beneficiary, even though it's not a retirement account, even though it's not an annuity. Many states, most states have adopted this way to transfer bank accounts directly to somebody else without going through probate without going through the trust, without having the trustee get involved, it circumvents all of that. So if you have something that is titled a car registration, a house deed, rental property, a business bill, something that is titled, those things, very simple guys, ready? Those things have to be in a trust. They have to be. You would put the title of your home would be in the revocable living trust. You could put the LLC, the shares of your S corporation, the shares of your business. That should be in the trust. 
and I do not want you to have a financial advisor do your trust, right? If it's me, you come to me, Arab, can you do my, yeah, I can do it. Will you do it? Not even in, not in a minute. No way. Why? I like you. You're a good guy. Thank you so much. I want an attorney to do attorney's work. I want a plumber to do plumber's work. I want a financial guy to do financial work. The trust needs to be done, in my opinion, simply by, by an attorney. That's what I would do. I, I get it. It's your friend, cousin. The guy handles stocks, bonds, mutual funds, REITs, ticks, fleas, blah, 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 and he can do my trust. No, thank you. Okay? But Aaron, if it's $2,000, yes, it is. Yep, sure is. Just ask him, say, what would be the cost to my estate to go through probate where a judge decides and I have to pay attorneys and court fees? What would that be if I just had this house and a little rental property? What What is that cost? And he'll tell you, oh, it's $25,000 or something. Say, are you kidding me? 25000 Yep. And that's the minimum. It could be more than that. Oh, well then, uh, all I want you to do is say, is it worth it financially? $2,000 now or $25,000 plus later? And, and when I say twenty five, that's a low number. I've seen probate fees in, in the state of California that have gotten up to one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 for just a, you know, a couple of houses, a house and a business or just something small. You're like, who gets all that money? Oh, the courts, the trustee, the judge. and nah, nah. Okay, great. Or you can have a $1,500, $2,000 living trust. <clears throat> lay it all out, boom, done. So there's a difference between beneficiary-driven accounts, again, life insurance, retirement accounts, annuities. They can go directly to the beneficiaries, circumvent probate. So if in your life you're renting, in other words, you don't own a home, anything with a, a title, you might have an old car, you have a bank account. I don't care. $200,000 sitting in Bank of X. Got it. And the rest of your assets are in retirement type accounts. Then you may not need a trust. You might need it for your medical decisions, right? For things like your health care directive. You might need a living trust for things such as power of attorney. If you're incapacitated, who's going to pay your bills? Who's going to cash the checks? So you might still need some you know, pieces and parts of a trust. But you may not need it for the property part. You may not need the will portion. So you might end up with a lot less than $2,000 cost to make it all work. Because at the end, it might be really simple and straightforward. Because most of your accounts, most of your assets, circumvent probate. Now, here's a, a word of caution. Really important. <laughs> you have to listen to this. You're not going to believe it, but it's a true story. I, I only tell you true stories here, guys. Here, here's Because the truth, as they say, is stranger than fiction. All right, so husband and wife get married. She's 18. He's 19. He gets a new job with the city. Lower income, basic job. With the city, they give you this free life insurance, right? You could sign up for it for one times your pay. And then you could buy more if you want later. And the spouse, you can get dependents, you know, other life insurance. Not married, just young kids, 19 and, and 18. So they get married. After three years, they divorce. No children, they divorce. A couple years later, he remarries and has a family. 25 years have passed. 
and he's consent, he's now increased his life insurance. His pay has gone up. So he has a much greater amount of, of life insurance that's, quote, free. It's part of his benefit package. But he's also bought additional life insurance because you can do that. And all of that is going on. And meanwhile, this ex-wife is gone. Nobody, you know, they're not friends. She's gone on. She's had a couple of children. They're in college. She's remarried. Of course, life is good. They have a home. She is my client. So she calls me up one day and says, Arif, I received this check in the mail. It's $250,000. I think it's from your company. I said, we, we wouldn't send you 250000 It's probably a scam. She said, that's what I thought. I'm just going to throw it away. I said, well, let me take a look at it. Uh, I happened to literally be driving you know, two blocks from her house uh, a day or two later because I was driving um, you know, south and driving past her place. I said, listen, I'm going to be by your place. I can see you on Sunday afternoon. I'm just swinging by. I'll pick it up. I'll take a look at it. I'll make some phone calls on Monday. And I'll let you know what this is all about, if it's a scam or a fraud or what it is. So I do that. I swing by, pick up the check. I go, oh, this looks legitimate. I don't know. It's from a company that I know, I recognize. I mean, it's a, it's a big company. Okay. So I get the check. On Monday, I make a phone call. I said, hi, you know, I'm calling on behalf of so-and-so. This is a check. They said, oh, yeah, that's a legitimate check. It's $250,000. I said, what is it? She said, well, so-and-so so passed away and had her listed down as the beneficiary. Well, so I reach out to my client and I say, do you know so-and-so? She said, oh yeah, that was my ex-husband. We were married three years. I haven't seen him for 25 plus years. I said, well, when he got the job with the city, he put your name down as the beneficiary because you were married, of course. He never changed it to his new wife. He never changed it to his children. So 25 years pass and because she is listed as the beneficiary, Legally, there's nothing anybody can do. Now, my client can recuse the money. She can say, no, I don't want it. And it goes back into into uh, the insurance company and then they look for the next of kin. You've heard of that term, who is basically the closest living relative. And then they would distribute it to that person, which would be his wife. However, do you think she chose to recuse 250,000 tax-free money? <laughs> nope. She kept it. She kept the money. So $250,000. And her, her contention was this. She said, Arif, um, simple. He had 25 years to change the beneficiary. I can't guess why he didn't. I'm thinking chances are pretty good he wanted me to have this money. So, now whether she's right or wrong, she received 250000 tax-free money and the current wife and kids did not. I don't know if, if that group, that family received any other extra money. Maybe they did. I hope they did. Certainly, probably his retirement account and his pension. But had he put her down for the retirement account and the pension, she would have got that too. Wild. So, if you are expecting to be the beneficiary for your husband or ex-husband or wife or ex-wife or kids or, or anybody, make sure, go back and double check. It doesn't take a whole lot. If you're not sure who you have listed as your beneficiaries on your retirement accounts, I don't care how long you've been married, 20, 30 years, it could have been your mom. 
right? If you had that job or that life insurance policy when you were single, maybe you put your mom or your sisters or your brother as a beneficiary and now you're married and you never changed it. Well, you better hope your mom (laughs) likes your wife because uh, your mom might be getting, we've had that happen where the mom received the money. It was $100,000 and the wife was supposed to receive it and the mom said, I'm not giving it to her. I could take care of my grandchildren better than she can. They didn't get along. All right. So guess who got the money? And I'm going to give you some good news too. We had a client who had $50,000 and he put his sister down and the sister is our client and the sister recused the money and it went to his wife, the sister-in-law. So she did the right thing. I think morally and ethically, she did the right thing. That was, uh, she she figured, look, my brother would have wanted his wife to have this money. It was an oversight. So you can recuse that money. But <laughs> those of you that think you want to take that chance, I've got a swampland in Florida you could buy. <laughs> if you think someone is going to do that, eh, maybe not. You might want to double check. Okay, so double check your, your beneficiaries. It's going to go through a variety of things. Oh, remember that credit card uh, membership thing that you're a member of or the union or the organization or the NRA or PETA, whatever it is. Sometimes they have a $1,000 or $10,000 life insurance policy just for being a member. So everything from your credit union to your union memberships at work to any organizations you're a part of, start digging through, making sure that the beneficiaries are who you want them to be. I would always prefer it be a person unless you're going to divvy it up in percentages, meaning if you're going to have a church or charity get a certain number, if you want this organization to get a certain amount, if you want this person to get it, but only in this way, right? Once maybe they have a drug problem or they're recovering alcoholic and you go through and say, okay, I'm going to give them money, but it's going to be doled out in dollars, not in big chunks of money. Okay, well then those dollars, you might say they're going to be given to the trust, and then the trust manages the percentage. I'm going to share with you something. It's, it's a little bit of a caution that we had recently, and I've had this now three times in, in the last few months. So I think this is why uh, you need to know about it. When you list a church or a charity as part of your trust or your will, you know, I want, and you do it in percentages. I want 10% to go to this organization. I want 30% to go to, you know, save the whales, whatever. When you do that and it's percentages and it's a big number, right? If it's more than a half a million dollar estate and 30% is 150,000, when you're looking at those big numbers like that, the organizations themselves will often dispatch attorneys and accountants to evaluate your estate because they're not getting a dollar figure, they're getting a percentage. So when the trustee, the person you have selected as the successor trustee to implement your wishes. When they say, okay, we sold the house in so-and-so land uh, and it's worth 500000 We sold it for $500,000. do not be surprised if that attorney or somebody along the way says, no, 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 you should have held out. It's worth five fifty. In this market, you could have waited, negotiated, and on and on. Because remember, they get a higher dollar figure the more money you put when you put percentages. So how do you fix it? How do you keep 
whatever, the Catholic Church, the, the Mormon Church, Save the Whales, whoever it is, how do you keep them from getting overwhelmingly involved and, and suing everybody? Simple. What you do is put dollars. I want this church, this organization to get $100,000, period. Doesn't matter. I don't want them to look at the numbers. I don't want them to to say, okay, here's a, you know the the balance of your accounts might have gone down. Well, that's the trade-off. That's the problem. You put in there a dollar figure for that organization and the balance goes down, that organization still gets all of those dollar figures. They don't just get a percentage. If, if you wanted them to receive half, but the, the value has gone down because you spent it, well, the trade-off in keeping people from suing everybody and reevaluating everything could be to just put a, f- a flat dollar figure. When we come back, I'm going to give you a way to make sure both of those things don't hurt you. Stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. We're talking about beneficiaries, retirement accounts, trusts, leaving money to those that you love and organizations you care about. I'm Eric Hallaby. Stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. This is TFS Financial Insurance Services on your place for news, talk, and information. We'll be right back. Financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me. Higher income strategy. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, TFS Financial Insurance Services. What are we talking about when it comes to beneficiaries? This is pretty important because kind of think of it like musical chairs. I mean, it's a little rude, I guess, but you know, when we pass away, it's done. Wherever the beneficiaries are, wherever things are listed in the trust, if there is a trust, all of that, it's done, it's over. There is no changing it. You can say what, but what he meant and what I thought, that doesn't matter. It's written down. The companies have it signed in their paper, you know, in their um, uh, headquarters and the paperwork they have, and that's it. So you can't undo these things. We have to fix them if they need to be fixed now. So what happens when you name in your trust, just to recap, we name in the trust percentages that go to charities. Now, if it's a small estate, you know, relatively small, I don't know, let's call it less than $100,000, you're probably not going to have a lot of pushback. But if you start having a one or two or $5 million estate and the charities receive a percentage of that estate, it's in their interest to make sure that the valuation of the assets, like how much things are worth, are as high as possible. Because the higher the valuation is of the stuff, the more dollars they get in their pocket. You see, the charity doesn't take percentages to the store or to the bank. They take dollars. So they want the largest dollar as possible. So you, in my opinion, you need to be commensurate with that in your trust. I know it's difficult to put percentages in dollars and and not, and and be sure what they are because who knows what the value of the things that we have, what's that value when we die? When do we die? We don't know. Right? So, so it can be a little higher or a little lower than what you want that charity to receive or that church or that organization. 
So here's a way to do it. You have to be pretty specific. You can put a clause inside of your trust and an attorney draws this up, right? I don't want you to just make it up. I don't want you just to write it in. I want it to have legal, proper legal documentation. But it says something to this effect. This is the way we evaluate. We get three appraisals and we choose the middle one. Or you get two of them. We, the, the trust pays for two appraisals of that entity. And it's averaged. Right? If one is 150000 and one is 200000 the average of it is 175000 That's the value that is used, period. So you have a way to, to, to analyze the value of the things inside of your state if you want to continue to use percentages after this. But what else do you do? You put a contestability clause and you say that this is the first, last, and final way that we are going to evaluate it. And if any organization or their representatives contest it, they are disinherited or they get a dollar, right? You and your attorney are going to come up with the right language or they get 50 bucks and it's over, done, bye-bye. So it keeps them from putting pressure on the trust because what happens when these organizations, and we had it where it, it was a large uh, church that received a big percentage and they sent a team of lawyers. And then, of course, the trust, the person and the executor, the, the, the trustee, successor trustee, they're sitting there going, oh, I don't know. I never, what do you mean I'm being sued? Because they put their name down as well. So now the trust has to take its own money to hire a law firm. And then the trust also pays for an attorney to represent the successor trustee. So now the trust is paying for two attorneys against the church's organization trying to sue that the valuation of the house, it, they could have gotten more money for it and it wasn't, you know, 900000 it should have been $1 million, and here's the, and they all have reasons and, and, okay, well, the attorneys walked away with about a hundred grand. Well, there's your valuation. So I want you to make sure that your money isn't going to go to law firms because that's what happens. Remember, in every class action lawsuit, when you get 38 cents, the lawyers get millions. When you get $4.50 because they, you know, they sued uh, for a class action lawsuit of wages and, and they didn't get the right amount of work done, you know, the lawyers make a million and two million and you get $14.95 or something because you didn't get your breaks. So as much as I love attorneys, I have them in my family. Right, I get it. They have to make a living, but you can create a kind of a way to keep yourself from falling into that trap. All right, so that's the beneficiary way to do it. You have an, an attorney write up the trust, put a contestability. You cannot contest this. Here's the way that we come up with the evaluation. We're using certified appraisers. We're using uh, you know X Y Z or Smith and Jones, and those people are going to be the evaluators, and they come up with the number, and that's it. Done. Okay, And they are not part of a trust. Anything that has beneficiaries that are driven by beneficiaries, by the way, are not part of a trust. They circumvent the trust, just like we were talking about earlier. It has nothing to do with, with who, uh, oh, you, you, you leave the money to this person or to that person, and then the trust now gets to take over. The trust is silent. It, it has nothing to do with the story. 
All right. What else are we running into that's pretty common when I see these questions come walking down the street and I'm like, oh, here's another one. And man, we've had five of these. Sometimes men will have separate families or they'll have a kid, a child out of wedlock and that child will come along and with today's ancestry DNA and uh, what is it, 24 and me and you know those are run usually by the, the Mormon church. They're owned, they own most of that type of database. I think it's ancestry but I, I can't remember. It's one of those databases. So it's pretty complete. Right? Why do you think they're catching these murderers? Well, why do you? Because departments have these old DNA kits, rape kits, murder kits, which means they're sitting on a shelf. I've seen them. It's back in evidence lockers when I was a police officer for LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department. We had big evidence rooms, and they're in uh, brown paper bags, and they're sealed, and they're stamped, and they got an envelope uh, around them. And I mean, it's they they try to preserve this stuff, and it was difficult back then difficult to find any DNA with the current testing back in the 70s or 80s but the the data the the specimen was still kept that little drop of blood not enough to get it today they can so a lot of departments are uploading that evidence hair DNA blood DNA and when they upload it into the system it just sits there and it circulates and then a, a daughter or a third cousin wants to know, you know, how much American Indian do I have in my system, uh, you know, or, or am I really Italian or whatever they think. And they go and do their, their blood match and there's a hit. Well, that person didn't know that their grandfather was a murderer. That person didn't know that their brother was a rapist. They didn't know that. So they put the, the, the DNA into the system. Then what happens is there's a match. So they go knocking on the door. And they say, hi, ma'am, uh, you know, do you know any males that are this age that look like this and in 1987 would have looked like this or lived over here? Well, that could have been my brother. It could have been my uncle. And they start taking that data and narrowing it down, narrowing it down and building a case. Every day, certainly every week, you can look on some of the headlines and you'll see a 22-year-old cold case a murder of a co-ed walking home from school, right? You start to see those. Well, as that starts to happen, there's also a knock on the door that says, hi, uh, you dated my mom for three weeks in 1984, and I'm your daughter. You're like, oh, excuse me, I don't even remember that lady. <laughs> Who is it again? Oh, yeah, that's right. And then does she have rights? Can she come into the house where you thought it was going to be a 50-50 split between you and your brother? Or there were four kids in your family and you thought you were going to get 25% each? And your dad, before he, he, he got down into his faith a lot more, maybe was a little bit of a wild child, and, but didn't know that he had a, an offspring somewhere. And then she comes knocking on the door. Does she or he get a piece of that inheritance? Are they entitled to some of that? Now, this is a pretty sticky question. Because when people come into our financial realm and, and when we build a plan for them or we're, or we're kind of working on an income strategy, okay, when do we start this income and this? And we start working on, on completing this paperwork and they put their beneficiaries down. 
if it's usually the husband is the wife, wife is the husband, that's normal. And then the contingent beneficiary would either be, depending on their situation, each one of the kids, 25%, 25%, on and on. Now that, this child has no uh, nothing to say because remember, beneficiary-driven drives everything. No problem. She gets nothing. But if he puts the trust as the contingent beneficiary and then the language of the trust doesn't exclude any kids that may be coming down the road, any kids that knock on the door, or any people that he may have post-completing the trust, right? There's this big trend of men that are in their 70s giving birth, having having their, their girlfriends or wives giving birth uh, to their children. When Let's say she's 35 and she has a baby. He's 70. That's not uncommon, guys. Especially if he's a widow or widower and he's divorced. It's not uncommon for for an 80... I know this is going to sound kind of creepy, but for a 75, 80-year-old guy to still be able to have kids, right? Or, or, so this is weird. But you have to look at this. If the living trust is the beneficiary, does it say any kids that come before and any kids that come after, right? Because the college fling where the knock on the door comes, a lot of trust documents could say things like, oh, and any kids that I've had prior, these are the only four children I know of. Anybody else is is disinherited explicitly. But it may not say, oh, by the way, post-living trust, I want you to also exclude those kids that might be coming down the road. Right, whether it's their housekeeper, right, called uh, what is it, Arnold Schwarzenegger, his housekeeper, and he had a fling that maybe lasted a long time. He knew he had a son, the same guy that's running around trying to give moral advice to. I don't care about your freedoms. You don't deserve to have freedom when it comes to the to the vaccine. Okay, listen, I got you, buddy, but maybe you should worry about your family first. Right. I mean, listen, the Schwarzenegger still have dinner together. They still had uh, reportedly they still do things together as a family. Uh, good. I'm, I'm glad I want him to, you know, to be honorable. But if it can happen to him. It can happen to a lot of people. So just please be careful. So make sure that the trust documents, if you're a recipient of the money someday and it's coming through a living trust, have the attorney write whatever language that is necessary to have the wishes of the the person be directly represented. Can I say that in a more legal way? I don't know how. Because sometimes people will have claims to these things. Okay, what about, look, this is important. When you're dealing with uh, uh, assets that are acquired after all you kids have gone, grown up, done your thing. Assets that are acquired after the second marriage or the third marriage, right? Sometimes people pass away or they get divorced and your dad is still or your mom is still acquiring assets. Now, in the documents that you have, mom might remarry and acquires assets while she is remarried. Are you four kids still entitled to some of those assets or do his kids come into play? 
right? He had children from a previous marriage, just like she did, but they are acquiring assets, things, houses, paying off their main home, whatever it is, but they're doing that together in the latter stages of their life. Who gets that? And how do they get it? So that is where a solid, I don't want an attorney. Listen, I love a lot of attorneys. They're good people. I don't want an attorney that says, oh, we do personal injury, divorce, uh, medical malpractice, and we'll do your living trust for you. I want you to find an attorney. We have some great ones that we could recommend, but I want you to find an attorney who does living trusts, understands them, is an estate tax planning attorney. There's very few of them because it's a secondary set of exams they have to take, right? Maybe 150, 250 in the state of California alone less than 100 in the state of Utah. I mean, look, there are just not that many of them. Do you need it if, if you're not that complicated? I don't know. The cost difference between one of those and the guy who, who chases ambulances, as they say, it's not very much. But the expertise, the quality, uh, I like that. I want you to have that extra set. So keep in mind that you can have that that freedom to go out and to make sure that that particular person is doing the right thing. I don't want you to to have a trust. Okay, when I'm looking at a trust that lays down and says to yourself and your family and your friends, here's the way I want to be remembered, because we're going through this now, a lot of you are. When somebody close to you dies and they say, I don't want a big funeral, I don't want you to make a big fuss, can I be a little rude for just a second? I mean, forgive me, it's not normal to say that. But it's kind of none of their business. Well, if they're the ones that died, that's right. But a funeral is not for them. Right? Almost, not quite, but almost like a wedding is not for the, the two couples. The wedding is for the family to be joined. The wedding isn't just for the two people. I mean, you get it? A wedding is to join families. It's so that we mingle and we hold the, the couple accountable. We we are morally and, and religiously uh, guiding and directing and supporting them. Well, what's the difference in a funeral? There are people left behind. So I understand in your trust or your will or even just the wishes you tell people, you don't want a big party. You're not going to be there. Right? You might be shy of big public events or I'm not a good public speaker. Great, because no, nobody's expecting you to say anything. Right, You've passed away. If your loved ones want to have something to remember you by, shouldn't that be their business? Right, Don't let your feelings guide and direct something in which you have no business guiding and directing. Right, The, the funeral is not about you. It's about the people that are going to miss you. It's about the people that want to remember you. So with all due respect, you kind of stay out of that business. You can put, hey, listen, whoever's alive and wants to honor me or have fun or sing or dance or or play music, they can do that. That's part of, that's part of uh, their healing. It's part of their life to come to grips with the loss of you. Okay? Stop being a control freak. Let them do their thing. You already controlled stuff by putting who you want as beneficiaries. You already controlled things by your living trust indicating uh, what and who you want to, to receive when and uh, you know what. And, uh, you get it. You did it. But kind of keep in mind the objective of going through and having a multiple you know multiple sources of of uh, 
people in your life that care and want to get you, that matters. I'm okay with that. All right? I think that helps because I want you to have in your life multiple uh, people that are going to remember you differently. You know, thank God my dad is still here, but it's amazing to me the type of friends he has. He has friends that are ambassadors from different countries, from a, from two different countries, people that are are honorable and big and, and fancy. And then he has most of his other friends are people that are just regular Joes, simple lives, impacted maybe one or two people in, in the world and not a whole lot more. And he can act the same in both of those environments. He's the same person. He's respected the same. And he has a wide range of people and friends. For him to say that that person needs to remember him the same way that that person needs to remember him and they should have an event that looks like this, you can't do that. People in your life love you. They want to be around you at least as much as possible. All right. Hey, guys, I want to give you a couple more things here. Every once in a while, we do events where we have dinners and, and events where we, we speak to people and, and kind of get together. Give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. We can certainly do Zoom meetings, right? The, the video conferencing, we do that. We have a variety of those. We can certainly uh, talk on the phone. Maybe I can help you. If I can, I'll tell you. Usually, it takes me about 15 minutes. Certainly, I ask a few questions and I say, yes, I can help you or no, I can't. If I can, then I'll ask a few more questions. I'll give you some choices. Remember, the purpose of your money determines the place of your money. And if you want some or part of your money protected from the market declines, the interest, the principal protected, never going backwards, in other words, safety, if you're okay with the reasonable rate of return, over time, you're going to average between three and six, maybe three and eight. You might get a zero some years, many years. You might have a 10. You might get a two, four, nine. But over time, over let's say a 10-year window, we seem to average right in between three and six, maybe three to eight. That's important you know that because, oh, you know, Bitcoin's doubled or the stock market is tripled. That's fine. With us, the primary objective is protecting the principal and the gains. And whenever you want it, if, if you want it to have and give you reasonable income, we can do that. If you want to just leave it and let it grow for two, five, ten years, you can do that. You're not forced, at least not by us, to take money out in any form or fashion. Some companies will give you a bonus, which is like a matching. Every time you deposit money, they will deposit money. So if you want some or part of your money to grow at a reasonable return, you're okay with never losing it, of course, which means you may not get all of the gains. You want to keep things simple, easy to understand. And you want a little bit of liquidity, let's say 10%. Fine. You can take out that every single year if you want. You don't have to. Maybe we're right for you. It would be our honor to see if we could help be a privilege because this is your life savings. It's not ours. We never forget that. Unlike some financial professionals, we were on the phone the other day with one trying to ask some questions and they were they took it as if it was personal, as if this client's money was really his. And the client was pretty frustrated, pretty upset about it and said, come on, really? 
We're just asking questions. We're trying to figure this out. And what are you trying to do again? So we never act that way. Our job is to protect your money for as long as you want us to. It would be our privilege to be able to do so. And then think about this. Do you want our beneficiary review? Do we need to make sure we can go in and dig and find the beneficiaries for the accounts that you have? Make sure they're what you want them to be. We ask the right questions. We just found this recently with a very educated, very successful person and their personal bank account did not have a beneficiary or a transfer on death. Their personal IRA, individual retirement account, did not have a beneficiary. Because sometimes when companies are taken over or they're absorbed or there's a merger or acquisition, they don't always transfer the beneficiaries over to the new company. We're starting to see that a lot. So if your company has changed hands a couple of times, that, that in other words, the one that holds your, benef- your uh, retirement accounts, maybe you have to double check just to make sure that there is the, the beneficiary list is what you want it to be. Because once the music stops, once the person passes away, there is no changing it. Whether it's your wife or your husband, we have seen spouses eliminated from beneficiaries on countless occasions, more than I can care to remember. So I want you to make sure that whoever you have as the beneficiary, you want as the beneficiary. Okay, pretty important you do that. Folks, my number again, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. If I can help you, it would be my honor, be my privilege, as I mentioned. We have a great team, wonderful people. Get a chance to meet them. We have a couple of offices that maybe we can help. 888-99-RETIRE. Thanks for being with me on the Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Halaby. This is your place for news, talk, information, and pretty smart people. Thanks for being a part of it. Appreciate you. Have a good day. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.